It's time for another episode of Vegan Radio. Today, Megan Shackleford is on vacation. What do you mean? Say it isn't so. You're finished, Derek. <laughs> Instead, we have Scott Latane in the studio taking her place. Uh, and uh, I don't think we're going to do the naked news today. We're just going to do uh, news with our clothes on. Uh, and we also have so uh, <laughs> beloved Binge here. How you guys doing? Good. How's it going? Good, good. Our musical guest from Durham, North Carolina, originally from Portland. Was it Portland? Seattle. Seattle. Really close. One of those places over there. And uh, we also have an interview with Peter Singer and Jim Mason about their new book. And that was recorded at the Farm Sanctuary Hoedown last weekend, which I attended, and I'll be talking about a little bit. And we got anything else, Scotty? We got some good news stories. Yes, that's the that's the main thing. The main thing? The main thing. It might even be another edition of Vegan Media Watch. Scott, this is Scott's big break. Mm. He's uh, hoping to climb up the ranks of vegan radio hierarchy. And uh, maybe this will be his big day. Give us a call. <laughs> if you know the number. All right. So let's uh, let's kick it off with this naked news. Unnaked. Right. Oh, yeah. The clothed news. All right. Top of the story. Cow poop powers Vermont. Yeah, Megan's not here. We can talk about poop all day. Yeah, I was hoping we would. And in fact, I picked this story because it had the word poop in it. Uh, but here you go. Central Vermont Public Services customers who want to support renewable energy and Vermont dairy farms have a new energy choice. Central Vermont Public Service Cow Power, trademark. The Vermont Public Service Board has approved CVPS Cow Power, which is intended to promote development and reliance on renewable energy in Vermont by creating a market for energy generated by burning methane from cow manure. You know, there's enough, Bizarre. To, enough to power entire <laughs> cities out there. Uh, by enrolling Wasn't in there like a Mad Max movie where they <clears throat> used uh, pig poop to power the town? Do you remember that one? Beyond yes, and Thunderdome? I think there was a grisly death involving cow poop as well. Yeah, oh, pig poop, Pig I think. poop, yeah. yes. That would be more grisly. That had Tina Turner in it. Mm, ain't we a pair. <laughs> uh, by enrolling in CVPS Cow Power, customers will help support Vermont dairy farms that develop generators that run on methane from cow manure, renewable generation in the region, or incentives to farmers to get into the business. Customers who sign up will receive a free Energy Happens bumper sticker. To and show a cow their, pie. <laughs> to show their, yes, as a doorstop. <laughs> to show their support for farming, the environment, and renewable energy. Uh, in addition to PSB approval, uh, Cow Power has received the Vermont Agency of Agriculture, Food, and Market Commissioner's Choice Seal of Quality. So, um, yeah. Wow. Yep. So well, they, they, it uses a lot of energy to uh, create cows. <laughs> so Vermonters, if you want to find out more about it, please visit the Central Vermont Public Service uh, Energy site, which I don't have um, a URL for, but, you know, Google it. Yeah, you can check out these stories on our show notes at www.veganradio.com. Um, any comments about the poop story? How about you guys, beloved binge? <laughs> well, we're, we're heading to Vermont. So Are you befuddled? We'll so we have, have to, to look that up. What we say. <laughs> Um, yeah, well, you know, there's there's some vegans in Vermont, and they probably aren't using cow poop. But uh, well, according to this uh, last statistic on here, it says uh, 1,500 cattle can produce 1.75 million kilowatt hours per year. So that's enough to. Power I wonder how, man, how much um, oil it takes to create 15. How, how many was it? 15 million. 
I'll get right on that. I'll look that up. Yeah, we we have to we have to do the uh, numbers on this. Yeah, definitely. We'll crunch them later. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So enough of that. Uh, by the way, poop. Um, so this is another great story. Um, according to this researcher, uh, everyone should be aware that a vegetarian diet kills animals too. Um, it says here, Stephen Davis. He didn't set out to start a fight, but one happened when he began attacking one of the most sacred beliefs of the vegetarian community. Sacred. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Beliefs. One of the reasons most commonly cited by vegetarians for giving up meat is the conviction that other animals have a right to life as well as humans. Uh, But when Davis began setting up a course on animal ethics for the Animal Science Department at Oregon State University four years ago, he reached a rather surprising conclusion. Nobody's hands are free from the blood of other animals, not even vegetarians, <laughs> he concluded. Millions of animals are killed every year, Davis says, to prepare land for growing crops like corn, soybean, wheat, and barley, the staples of a vegan diet. Um, I, didn't, I haven't had any barley lately. I'm, I feel like I'm missing out. You're missing one of your staples. <laughs> Aren't uh, those like all grains that are grown for cows or something? Mm, well, yeah, that's that was kind of. There's a stunning omission in this story, which is that uh, there's no mention made of the amount of crops grown for livestock, which I think really actually. It's that same argument, like that uh, you know that plants plants are alive, and uh, what about killing them? You know, it's like well, the, if you're eating animals, you're eating a lot more plants. Yes, you're harming other you're, you're Gaia. A lot more plants are being grown and killed to produce the animal flesh. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a there's a you know this whole philosophical thing about sentience, and we're not going to get into that. But uh, if you want to come to vegan, well, we have Peter Singer on later. He's an expert. Yeah. So it says here the animals in this case are mice and moles and rabbits and other creatures that are run over by tractors or lose their habitat to make way for farming. So they're not as quote visible as cattle. He says, uh, and that gives rise to a fundamental question. What is it that makes it okay to kill animals of the field so that we can eat vegetables or fruits, but not pigs or chickens or cows? That's a very well-formulated <laughs> but stupid question. Uh, because, uh, after all, nobody said it's okay to kill animals, but we'd like to minimize that in all cases, if possible. Right. Uh, any disruption of the land, whether it is to be farm or to build subdivisions, reduces the amount of land left for other animals, resulting in the death of many. And Davis, a professor of animal science at Oregon State, who grew up on a farm, says as a child he saw animals killed by the routine operation of farm machinery. So there's no way to have a bloodless farm. I think um, if, if you support local agriculture, uh, vegetable agriculture, you're probably um, killing less. I would think, uh, I mean, a lot of animals just get killed by trucks driving down the road. Sure, and who knows how many fish are killed by pig waste leaking into rivers and the groundwater. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, obviously obviously, eating meat is killing a lot more animals than not eating meat. Uh, so, but I think I, I belong to a CSA in uh, Mountain View Farm in East Hampton, and the, I guess they do use some machinery, but I, I imagine they kill very few animals. Uh, you're, you're talking about animals that are... Free to begin with, uh, yeah, they're, yeah, they're, they're, this this uh, story is about like m- mice in the field and stuff. Right. The general the, idea. The vegetarian bloodlust. Right. I mean, the general idea is that you know the more impersonal that our institutions and our farms and everything else becomes, the less you know concern, the less eyeballs there are on the ground to see what's going on, and so these. Well, I'm sure, like monoculture too, is like. When there's these huge farms growing only one crop that, mm. and that's all mechanized, that that kills a lot more animals than an organic farmer who has several different crops and tends to each one personally. 
Yeah. I mean, generally speaking, the impersonal uh, almost always leads to these kinds of results. That's what happened in Germany. So get personal, people. Uh, (laughs) All right. Our next story is a little more cute. Cats go vegan in Asia's biggest feline shelter. This is by uh, this is from the Indo Asian News Service. Are these like big cats or little cats? These are your typical house cats. Except ah. uh, I think in India they they may be larger and more ferocious. <laughs> I'm not really sure, but uh, it says here in Asia's biggest shelter for rescued cats, the feline inmates are turning vegetarian these days, thanks to animal lovers who import alternative Italian food for the furry laptops. <laughs> the laptop is is uh, the uh, Indian word for cats, I guess. Uh, these days, the cats in Karunakunj, a center for rescued animals near here, uh, the Indo-Asian News Service, uh, run by the Compassionate Crusaders Trust, are getting addicted to an Italian food which is completely vegetarian. What's that? Pizza? Lasagna, of course. Lasagna. Um, no, actually, it <laughs> says that hmm, they have uh, looked for an alternative vegetarian food that can provide cats the required nourishment, at the same time save the innocent lives of other animals. And they went uh, to Italy and found AMI SRL, uh, which can supply 100% vegetarian food without any ingredients of animals or insects, but having wow. all the non-veg food qualities. You know, <laughs> it's hard enough to get food without insects. Does it has dairy in it, or um, it doesn't say? It does not say. I mean, it says vegan in the story, so I assume it has no You know those no Italians dairy. love their cheese over there. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, everyone loves yogurt. <laughs> um Karunakunj is uh, in Thakur Pukur. I love these Indian addresses. South 24 Parganas District, near the tree. No, we don't need to get that specific. Uh, Yep, they have freely roaming dogs, an aviary, a burial ground for pets, and the biggest cat shelter in Asia, where even the walls are painted colorfully like a Disneyland and props like logs (laughs) are fitted to keep the cute creatures rolling in their playful mood. So they obviously (laughs) care deeply. Wow. Yep, it says the dietary change was inspired by the principle of nonviolence advocated by the Jain religion. Ahimsa. Mm. Uh, the uh, rector of the shelter says, I'm an animal lover and a Jain by religion, so hurting even a small ant is unacceptable to us. I didn't know they had rectors in India. Mm. That's Many. a funny word. <clears throat> True. <laughs> <laughs> After a lot of searching, we could locate this company in Italy. So I guess they had to go all the way to Italy to find someone who had something. But uh, that's a that's a great little effort. All Time's right. up on that story. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> it wasn't as funny as I thought. I've it got would a be. bell now. <laughs> when right. I ring the bell, that means the story's over. Oh, look it. <laughs> You're finished. Uh, this China. is the Megan Shackelford. You're finished, Bell. And uh, continuing our picking on China series, uh, China has put a price on the head of rare animals. Uh, the Chinese government is inviting bids from foreign tourists. For the right to hunt endangered species under a kill to conserve campaign, a newspaper reported today. And uh, you know, just for the fun of it, really. Uh, in the first auction, the starting price for a permit to shoot a wild yak, of which there are fewer than 15,000 remaining in the world, is $40,000. Bids to bag an argali, which is a wild sheep uh, with big spiral horns, uh, $10,000. Uh, wolves, not as, not as much, $200 maybe. Uh, the Beijing Youth Daily said this was the first time China had auctioned hunting licenses, a move that looks likely to provoke controversy. I imagine. Yep. I hope they get their animal rights uh, movement going over there pretty soon. Mm. I wonder how they're choosing which animals to kill. Probably the slow ones. Um, the Communist Party-run newspaper said the listed animals were from the top two categories of endangered species. They include the red deer and the Zhang Yuanling, a type of antelope. Only qualified foreign hunters and overseas hunting organizations will be allowed 
bids to stock and kill the animals in five of the poorest provinces in western China. The auction, which will be overseen by a state forestry administration, has been introduced uh, to raise funds for conservation and to cull species that reach unsustainable levels in certain areas. Hunting is not slaughtering, it quoted an official at a wild animal protection department as saying. Until now, international hunting groups have had to apply on a case-by-case basis to shoot protected animals in China. Uh, Poaching, which is a big problem uh, there, uh, impoverished local hunters are the big problem. Uh, The argali are sold in street markets for less than 50 pounds. And uh, the horns of endangered antelopes and deer, which are sold for use in traditional medicine and aphrodisiacs, are even cheaper. Uh, And for this particular story, the World Wildlife Fund declined to comment. That's pretty sad. (coughs) Yep. I recommend all our listeners uh, read Matthew Scully's Dominion. There's some really good uh, stuff in there about this whole um, safari hunting (coughs) pain to kill these exotic animals and stuff them and put them in their bedrooms and whatever they do with them. Right. Well, this is being sold as a conservation program, and I'm not cynical enough to assume That's how hunting is always sold. That's how it's sold over here, too. Maybe I'm becoming We have to kill the deer. They're overpopulating. They're running out in front of the cars. Mm. I see. Because we killed all the predators off. So So I'll tell you what I got. I got three more stories here. You pick three one. Three more? Yeah. Yeah. Time They're not up. all that important. <laughs> <laughs> Vegan diet. Uh, better than the American Diabetes oh, let's Association let's do that one. Plan. That's important, I think. You like that one? All right. Well, uh, here we have. From uh, MedPage Today, the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine, a crusading group that has long ranked vegetarianism. 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 High on its agenda has made a compelling case for a low-fat vegan diet to improve glycemic control. Both a low-fat vegan diet and a diet following the American Diabetes Association guidelines improved glycemic control and cardiovascular risk factors in patients with type 2 diabetes. Uh, found a 22-week study partially funded by NIH and published in the August issue of Diabetes Care. But the vegan diet was better, reported Neil D. Barnard, MD. Neil Barnard. Yep, familiar name here an adjunct associate professor of medicine at George Washington University, and the president of the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine and his colleagues. The vegan diet consisting of fruits, vegetables, and grains, but no animal products and only limited added fats did a better job of lowering glycated hemoglobin, uh, body weight, (laughs) and LDL, the bad cholesterol, reported Dr. Bernard. The authors compared results among patients with type 2 diabetes assigned to either a vegan diet or one that adhered to ADA guidelines. The rationale for the study was to determine, independent of exercise, whether low-fat vegan diets could significantly improve glycemic control and reduce cardiovascular risk factors. Diabetes, you have a comment? Oh, I was just going to say, we've, we've already interviewed some diabetics on our show that have uh, pretty much got their disease under control or with a vegan diet. And I think the, the more closer to the raw food diet you get, the better you know, processed foods and sugars and stuff aren't aren't really good for diabetics. Mm. Well, this goes into a lot of statistics, but basically... Um, Time's up. We'll skip that. <laughs> right? They took their B12, they got a certain amount. They didn't have. They didn't um, give them a diet. They chose their own diet. Oh, really? Yeah. Vegan diet or diabetic diet? Well, they, they chose, you know, 50% of the people would do one, the other half does the other. But as far as the types of meals you were allowed to prepare, you'd basically pick your own food to oh, really? eat, and you could eat as much as you wanted. Huh. Yeah. Not unlike those cats who were overfeeding themselves on vegetarian <laughs> cat food. All the pasta. Yeah. So uh, there's also a rebuttal I found on Common Voice that um, you can take a look at. I'll link to that on the website as well. 
Um, although they referred to MedPage as MadPage a couple times. MadPage. MadPage. I think that was just a typo. What else we got, Scotty? All right. Uh, we have... Got to keep it moving. Gotta, okay, getting into the celebrities. Uh, we have the man uh, from Navi Mumbai, Iqbal Khan, the handsome <laughs> and stylish Angad of Kasai Yepayar Hain. Um, I'm gonna, there's a lot of great foreign words in this, so I'm just going to go right through it. He is a pure non-vegetarian, and he's proud of it. A complete food freak, and he loves eating all kinds of cuisine, but being a Kashmiri at heart, his favorite cuisine comprises of Kashmiri preparations. It's one unusual quality besides just being a great actor, and that is of being a good cook. <laughs> I make lovely tomato chicken, and everyone who has had it loves it, confesses the heartthrob of many. He's the kind of man that most women would fancy, not just because he looks good, <laughs> but also because he's a no-hassle person where food is concerned. I can eat anything and everything under the sun. I can even eat karela. But my all-time favorite is yellow dal tadka and bendi. His favorite Kashmiri delicacy is wazvan. I am a pure non-vegetarian, and non-vegetarian <laughs> food comprises my daily diet. This probably. would only be news in <laughs> India. Well, this is, well, this is great. You know, I think uh, probably, you know... Britney Spears will be coming out with a similar story soon. I'm a non-vegetarian. Mm, I love milk. Yeah. Well, we'll talk to him in 10 years when he's all bloated and ugly and pimply and nobody loves him anymore. Mm. So Next story. There we have it. <laughs> <laughs> and our final story. Firefighters, and this is a little bit of an old one, but we're going to, we love it. Oh, Fire, yeah. These firefighters in Texas have, been uh, around for a while. have adopted a vegan menu, and we thought we'd draw our attention to it. I want to get them on the show one of these it. days. Oh, yeah, definitely. Now, these are some real manly men. Yes, they are. Man- they're manly men? They're big, brave, and brawny. Manly mans? <laughs> you know, I mean, we've all seen Backdraft. They smoke. They chain smoke. <laughs> Backdraft. You know, they actually go out of their way to inhale smoke. Backdraft. Um, Isn't that the name of the Vermont uh, cow poop program? Y- yes. Ah. Yes, in fact, it, well, if it isn't, it should be. Uh, it says here that you won't find these firefighters grilling steaks or ribs on the barbecue. No. Thank goodness. Instead, you'll see them preparing beans, fresh vegetables, and whole grain rice because they're vegans and have given up all animal-based foods. Rip Esselstein pioneered the vegan movement at Firehouse 2 in Austin, Texas. He's ripped. Home of the Church of Scientology. You're eating plant-based foods, which are loaded with all kinds of vitamins, minerals, and antioxidants, he said. They're not as calorie-dense as your animal-based products, but they're nutritionally dense. James Ray got fired up about making the change after getting a cholesterol reading of 344. Wow. At a checkup. <laughs> the American Heart Association. His body. <laughs> no kidding. He's burning down. Yeah. <laughs> the American Heart Association says anything over 240 is considered high risk. Uh, so they decided to have a little team effort uh, with his extremely high cholesterol. The guys rallied around him to help him uh, have the strength to change his diet. I love that male bonding stuff, you know? Mm. I know, and it, it really works. We've got to rally around each other one of these days, Scotty. Mm. I'm thinking of, like, you know, getting some people together. You know what I was thinking? Mm. What were you saying? Did I cut you off? No, not oh. at all. I was, I was thinking that. that we should uh, start up a vegan donut chain, and then we can uh, get all the cops to get off to go vegan, too. Because I think that's what's holding all the cops around here off uh, a vegan diet, because they, they have to go to Dunkin' Donuts. They don't have any other options. That's true, and they, they do use that uh, really nasty oil there. Yeah. So like Mighty O Donuts, they're coming on. Mighty O. Yeah. I knew we'd get you guys to talk <laughs> sooner or later. Yeah. <laughs> We're talking about sweets now. So. Are they going to franchise Mighty O Donuts is in uh, Seattle? They're in Seattle, but I hear they're going to be shipping. And See, I keep having these friends who go visit Seattle, and I ask them to send me back donuts. I won't mention any names, Scott. but <clears throat> uh, I ate them all. But nobody ever sends us donuts. If, uh, if we have any listeners in Seattle and you send us vegan donuts, we'll uh, send you a vegan radio shirt. 
How's that sound, listeners? They're mighty nice shirts. www.veganradio.com. You can uh, sign up for our email list and send us some donuts. <laughs> <laughs> and so endeth the news. All right, let's get on to Beloved Binge. So could you guys tell us your names and uh, your shtick? Yeah, I'm Eleni Binge. And I'm Rob Beloved. <laughs> Do we yeah. have a shtick? Are those real names? <laughs> uh, they are for today. Oh, okay. Yeah. Rob Beloved and Benny... What? Any? <laughs> Benny Binge. No. Eleni Binge. Eleni. Hey, Eleni. How do you spell that? E-L-E-N-I. E-L-E-N-I. Yeah. Okay. Eleni Binge. That's right. And you guys are married. Yeah. How'd secret. that happen? Whoa. Well, you want to take that one? <laughs> sure. <laughs> hey, you might want to talk a little closer to the microphone there. Sure. He projects well there. Yeah, he's a good projector. Yeah. We played, we, we met in a band, actually. Yeah. yeah. Vegetarian at the time. and uh, I wasn't vegetarian at the time, but I saw the light through her cooking. Tempeh sandwich. Conversion yeah. conversion story. Made him a tempeh sandwich, and that's all it took, people. Yeah, and then we... Just one tempeh sandwich. Yeah, I didn't even like tempeh when I first tried wow. it. But this guy, he, he liked the tempeh. So. It was his gateway food. That's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> then we started volunteering for NAR in Seattle. Which is the Northwest Animal Rights Network. Okay. Yeah. Met some people, met some vegans, realized vegans were fun people. Because I, I wasn't sure before, but now some we of know. them are. Some, yeah, that's true. There are some duds, but you know, overall, it's just like any other yeah. group of and humanity. Exactly, exactly. There's always one person, you know. That yep, one person that. that gives us all a bad name and stereotypes. Exactly. Yeah, and who would that be? She's not here this week. <laughs> <laughs> You're finished, Eric. We love you, Megan. Come back. Poor Megan. We promise we'll behave. So here we are today. Here we are Beloved without Megan. Right. Yes. I hope the show is as fun without Megan. I kind of feel like she she raises it to a new level. Yeah. I, well, I, I could criticize you a bit more. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, don't. Please. <laughs> I need what's a week with, off. What's with this shirt? <laughs> <laughs> what's with this shirt? Oh man, don't even ask. It's a nice shirt. <laughs> So, so yeah. you guys are playing at the uh, Brass Cat in East Hampton tonight. Yep. Yeah. yeah, and then we're on to Boston tomorrow night. So our local listeners, yes. uh, the Brass Cat is in East Hampton. I'm, do you guys know the name of the road it's on? Yeah, I don't think I have that with me. I should have brought that in. But it's that's in right. East Hampton. It's a pretty well-known place. It's um, on our yeah, Google website. It. Yeah. Google Bloodbinge.com. Lots of Googling Beloved going on. Bloodbinge.com has right. the address. And what time are you going on? I think we're going on around 9 or yeah. 10, somewhere around 10. there with another band. Yeah. Is there any other... Oh, there is another band? Yeah, you? 1986 UK. I think their name used to be 1986, but this other band we played with sued them. Wow. Not, not really a suit, but yeah, they told a complaint. Them, get rid of your name. Cease and desist. Yeah. That's right. So, a little drama. Wow. But it's fun. We have a good time at our shows. We always bring the, uh, even if you like meat brochures, which <laughs> you... Um, <laughs> which was that? Which goes you listeners? Over well yeah, it pretty much goes really? over well. Have yeah. you had any conversions? Like people come up on stage and <laughs> say, "I've Praise seen us. the light." Yeah. <laughs> Can't say that's happened, but yeah. no. Maybe tonight will be the night. That's right. Tonight, All right, might listeners, be. if you're on the edge, go out to the uh, beloved binge show tonight, <laughs> and we'll convert you right on stage. It'll be fun. That's right. Yeah, and we do, we donate a certain percentage to vegan outreach uh, all our sales. CD so. sales. And they're yeah. the ones who make that um, that brochure. Meet your meat. Yeah, no, right. what's, what's it called? Even if you like even meat. if you like meat and why vegan and and why go why vegetarian, vegetarian and yeah that's why them. not exactly. we have a lot of them. lots of whys yeah. So do you, should we play one of your songs and uh, you want to do a song off your album first? Sure. sure. 
What's uh, what one would you like me to play? We were going to do number two, I think. Yeah, faces. faces. Sounds yeah. good. All right, this is beloved binge. Their song faces. to WXOJLP Northampton 103.3 FM. That was Beloved Binge with their song Faces off their Other Places album. Very nice. That's actually one of my favorites on there, so must be one of yours, Thank too. You. Thanks. Yeah, it's interesting. You get, you know, people, everybody has a song, and, you know, they question the order of your songs, too. We had a friend recently, well, why'd you put it in that particular order? <laughs> and so if you listen to everybody, I guess you'll never release an album. But, Is that the song that goes, uh, I wake to find you blow my mind. What one is that? Yeah. That's it? <laughs> that's uh, Rob's, Rob's side project. Oh, yeah. no. Yeah. <laughs> oh. That's another one of my favorites. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's see. Um, so 
you guys wanted to talk a little uh, about, Elaine, you had some... Activism. Activism. You had a little uh, speech written up over there. I have there. a speech. <laughs> <laughs> hours like, hours there's, on there's it. There's scribbles. Pulling her hair out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Wow. Yeah, I can't read from this. this. Your big Let me get a lectern yeah. for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a scribbly, scribbly scratch. No, just, yeah, just, uh, just talking to the people out here about activism, right, Rob? Sure. Yeah, we're trying to be a little bit active on our tour because I have this sort of guilt thing about just touring, you know? Like, who are we just to tour, you know? Yeah. Right. Who the heck are we? And you guys, you know? do you guys have any songs that are kind of uh, animal activist? activist or? Yeah, I actually brought our first album has Why Vegan on it. And that's, oh, really? That's a song, yeah. Actually, people have commented on that one. Friends we have. About there's the one statement taste bud greed in there and they kind Change of their diet yeah they is kind that of listen on to your it. website or anything yeah it's on there's a sample on the website but we have a yeah you can buy the CD through our website as well um, but yeah there's a sample there for sure mm-hmm. so, belovedbinge.com that's yeah, right that's belovedbinge and that's linked to from our show notes veganradio.com in case you forget nice nice. Yeah, and on this album, the last song is an activist song, but unfortunately, the recording isn't as great. That's why it's the last song, but <laughs> it's not because it's an you activist. Hope people song. stop listening by then, or that's right. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> five minutes they, long. They so I figured figure. it'd be like, oh, okay, <laughs> <laughs> I get the gist of this one. Yeah. yeah, but I was wondering why Rob would get so tired on the drums on that one, but it, it's it is five minutes long. And so, so how do you guys yeah. work this? You're a two two member band, and mm-hmm. then so who who plays what live? We we both switch instruments, so um, I'm I'm more or less a kind of a beginner drummer. Like faces, I play drums on that. And, okay, and it's kind of nice because we can change things up a little bit. You're like the white stripes of the vegan movement. Hey. Yeah, <laughs> is we that a compliment or an insult? Except for we switch. <laughs> there's a lot of I was just talking about this. There's so many two pieces out there, particularly where we come from, Durham, North Carolina. They're birthing all these two pieces that are just wow. excellent. I'm not yeah. saying that we're excellent, but these two pieces that we linked on our site, we're calling it Two Piece Revolution. So if and you're in a two piece, let us know. Let us know. Well, me Unless Scott, you suck. Me and Scott are kind of a two piece right now. Yeah, <laughs> we, we have no name, but uh, we, we have show no name up and randomly no songs, at different places. We'll be listening for you. <laughs> but you're oh, yeah. vegan. We actually have one song. Yeah. We yes. have a couple songs. Well, we each have our own ah. songs. We haven't learned each other's yet. So are they hits? Oh, um, they're yeah, hits. With us. <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's a big hit in my bedroom. I'll tell you. <laughs> yeah. I didn't mean personal. that in a bad way. He's getting personal. No, I mean I just play it in my bedroom. Oh, okay. And listen to it. Nobody else Nobody knows. Else. <laughs> 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 All right, let's get back to you guys. Um, so. So you wanted to talk about activism? Yeah. Well, I think generally I used to kind of be the mind that we need to do something big and huge. And, and in that regard, I'm sort of working on this documentary about our social attitudes toward eating meat, which I've interviewed several people off the street about, you know, just their connection to, you know, companion animals versus meat animals and that kind of thing. But um, I was really influenced by, uh, I don't, you guys probably know Vegan Outreach. And uh, John came leafleting on a tour through, and just the sheer numbers of of, uh, leaflets they get out um, at each location is amazing, and they get quite a response from that. And certainly you get the people who, you know, put them in the garbage, and there's always going to be those people, but um, that definitely can't stop you from, from getting the word out about just making more compassionate choices. And so we were inspired by that, and so we're trying to do some leafleting here on our tour uh, unfortunately, it's not the best time for colleges because they're closed. Right. But um, <laughs> we are we are getting the stragglers, so we've yeah. handed a few hundred out. But every little bit helps, I suppose. That's yeah. right. Yeah, because people see those brochures. Well, you and can leave them places too. I like like yeah. leaving them in uh, rest areas or. 
yeah. toilet stalls, you know, wherever. Something to, to shock people, just not on their windshields, so we don't have, <laughs> have a bad image there. But uh, I, yeah. I just throw them right in their car. You know? yeah. Yeah. Wheeler, that's <laughs> exactly, in their Paste McDonald's their bag or wheel. something. Yeah. And, you know, you're always going to hear rude comments anyway when you're out doing the yeah. outreach. I mean, the other day, the, this guy's like, you know, you always hear, I like meat. I'm a meat eater, you know? And I'm like, well, it's Congratulations. Not- we didn't get to the top of the food chain to be vegetarian. Yeah. <laughs> All those yeah. said ridiculous statements. And yeah. so I just told him, hey, you know, just reduce your consumption, you know? Yeah. It'd be ideal if you weren't vegan, but that, I don't think that's ever going <laughs> to yeah, happen. people get scared about that. One. You did take one. Yeah. So. Yeah, so yeah. it's interesting when, when, like, the parents protect their children from it. They, they, they take the brochure from you and their children want to see it. They're like, let me see that, mom. And no, 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 you know, and like it's a hot piece of coal, you know, they, they drop it or something. Or some parents don't care to just pass it on to the kids and keep walking. <laughs> yeah. That's why I think like, it would yeah. be good to have like a why vegan coloring book or something. <laughs> oh. well, that's a brilliant idea. Coloring all the like blood <laughs> and gore. Yeah. And then Supply at the end you color in all the happy animals. Nice. It would be a real a connection idea. for the kids. We'll have to talk to Vegan Outreach about that. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be the next logical step. I'll draw the pictures. <laughs> Cool. Yeah, but I think like, despair can happen with activists if you don't do if you're not active if you don't do anything. And I think leafleting is a great way once you get over the kind of um, feeling silly leafleting, which happens pretty quick. You can get over that. Yeah. Um, you you can really make a big change. So I encourage everybody to get out there and do that. Strategic yeah, we got benefits. five colleges in this area, and if uh, one person from every college distributed pamphlets one day a month or something around your college, that would probably Convert mm-hmm. a few people. Definitely, definitely. Save yeah. uh, what is it, eighty nine animals a year f- for every person that goes. Yeah, vegan. you know, it was it was eighty three. I thought, and so I got this tattoo here, and it says eighty three. But now I'm hearing oh, it's ninety five. So That's I'm gonna like have to do a little. Your girlfriend tattooed on your. Um, you know, <laughs> <laughs> so saving so a lot of mice and things too. Not safe. Oh well, as long as it as you know what it means. That's right. That's right. It's a good chance to explain to people too. So. <clears throat> so is is that it? That's yeah, I guess. Did uh, you want any vegan radio commentary on that? Or sure, sure. <laughs> yeah, we yeah. There was what? There was another th- uh, point. Well, uh, I, I have. Um, yeah. You're asking what the most effective way of getting the, uh, animal bridging. rights vegan message across to people? Yeah, bridging the gap between the natural compassion people most people have, um, you know, for regular companion animals, and extending that to their choices they make in eating the farm animals. That's, right. Yeah. Well, I was just happened to be at the dentist's office this morning getting my teeth cleaned, and uh, they feel really great, I have to say. Um, Look really nice. <laughs> they're sparkly. Um, and I was reading this interview in Sacha Magazine with uh, Dan Perraro, who's a syndicated cartoonist, and he had an answer to that, so I'll read his since it's uh, here. Dan Perraro. I don't know if there is a most effective way. All people are different. Some people are most impressed by example. They see somebody like they like who believes in animal rights and they look into it. Other people, like myself, are impressed by facts and logic. When I was a meat eater, I met any number of vegetarians and vegans, but none of them particularly impressed me. Dan's very hard to impress, I have to say. Nobody sat me down and talked to me about it. Once that happened, once somebody said, Look, this is where your food comes from. It's a factory farm. Here's what happens on a factory farm. Then, when I actually met these animals and saw that, that their mental mentality was no different than a cat or dog or a small child, the facts combined with the logic of this is what's happening to these animals, that was enough. I suspect that beating people over the head with facts when they're not ready for it doesn't work. Encouraging people to think for themselves, couching the argument with terms like, I think you'd be surprised. I used to think that too. 
A lot of people wonder about that. That's a really good question. These kinds of expressions when talking to somebody go a whole lot further than, Oh yeah? Well, do you have any idea where your dead cow sandwich came from, you jerk? Poophead! (laughs) Okay. I dinged myself. That's very true. You know, and yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I noticed the bell was way over there. Like, we can't reach it, people in the audience. Uh, I'm the controller of the <laughs> bell. We have no control of the bell. <laughs> but we, we met a vegan. Until Megan gets back. Then that's She's right. going to bring the bell and throw it into the trash. <laughs> you bring, our, bring your own bill. Um, so we, we met a vegan the other night, and he went vegan because of Weird Al Yankovic. Oh, so. is that Josh? Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's oh a great God. story. His story's He's a getting nice around, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, he is. So you never know how. Yeah, one yeah, look at Weird Al, you never want to eat an animal again. <laughs> <laughs> no, he he was actually a Weird Al fan, and he went on the uh, website and um, he had a link there. There was a link to uh, Weird Al was in the running for the sexiest vegetarian or something, <laughs> and so that took. Who wouldn't want to click on that? He went from Weird Al's website to PETA with that link, and then. Uh, Started reading, and him and his girlfriend, fiance, became vegan. Go, Josh! Insert clapping Shout here. Shout out to Josh. Yeah. All right, so mm-hmm. we're running low on time. I don't know if uh, oh, the Peter Singer interviews 20 minutes. Can you guys play a quick song for us? Sure. Sure, and just bell us if uh, in between I'll, cl- the I'll ring the bell when <laughs> your time's up. Where children have three legs and four arms If I was another man With an ego I might really understand Everything's gone astray The colors seem so binding I think that I'll stay Welcome to the atom bomb Where children have three legs and four arms If I was another man With an ego I might really understand I'm losing my goals Everything's gone astray The colors seem so binding I think that I'll stay Yesterday had some meaning, and so 
Yes. Wow, that's that's good uh, rendition of that one. Thank you. I haven't played my acoustic for I think three or four weeks, so it was kind of fun. I'm sorry the studio's not better set up for uh, for recording music, but I think it sounded good. Cool. Good. How you guys doing? Awesome. Um, so I don't even think we have time to play the whole Peter Singer interview, but um, we'll play part of it. And our listeners who are interested, you can listen to the full. Peter Singer interview on our uh, podcast, which you can download from www.veganradio.com. And everyone who's listening, be sure to go check out Beloved Binge at the Brass Cat tonight, around 9-ish. Yeah, it should be fun. It's going to be a big party, and they're, they're a lot more rock and live. They have, you know, all this electric have, uh, guitars and smashing drums and... Soy nice. white Russians and uh, I'm going to be there. <laughs> vegan mudslides <laughs> and uh, what else? Oh, oh, the meat, the meat brochure. You can pick oh, yeah. up your free copy. <laughs> <laughs> Give it to a friend. Learn a lot about activism. Yeah. All right. So um, I was at the uh, Farm Sanctuary Hoedown last Saturday and got to meet Peter Singer and Jim Mason, who have a new book called The Way uh, the uh, I always forget what it's called. <laughs> uh, the way we eat and why our food choices matter. And um, so I got a chance to interview both of them at the same time, which was pretty cool. And um, like I said, the interview is going to be cut short because we're going to run out of time. But um, you can listen to the whole thing at veganradio.com. And we also have a recording of uh, a cappella group called Veggie Voices that sang song at the Hodan, which is called um, Animal Liberation. No, it's <laughs> that's Peter Singer's book. It's called um, I can't remember what it's called, but it'll be on there. <laughs> the way we eat. <laughs> I've got Alzheimer's. <clears throat> I think I've got mad cow disease actually. But uh, let's see. So this is the interview, and thanks again for listening. We'll be back at the top of the hour to say goodbye, and hope you're having fun out there. And eating vegan. Mm. Mm. This is Derek Goodwin from Vegan Radio. I'm here with Peter Singer and Jim Mason. We're going to talk about their new book, The Way We Eat and Why Our Food Choices Matter. How are you guys doing? Thanks. Pretty good, Derek. <laughs> Could you give us a little synopsis of what this book is about? Uh, I guess what the book is about, our working title was called The, the Ethics of What We Eat, and we really wanted to look at uh, what you would be choosing to eat if you thought about eating uh, more ethically. So we decided to look at three different families with different ways of eating. Uh, one of them eats standard American diet, buys their food at Walmarts, gets whatever's cheap there. It's mostly factory farmed as far as the animal products are concerned. Uh, another one we call the conscientious omnivores who uh, do eat meat and animal products, but they try and get it more humanely produced or organic or something of that sort. And the third family we look at is a vegan family. So we look at what they eat, uh, we talk to them about their choices, and then we try and evaluate the ethics of the different choices they make. And what did each of you guys bring to the <coughs> table with this project? Hmm. We'll start with Jim Mason. Well, I, I like to go out and travel and meet people and talk them to death and try to draw them out and get them to you know speak openly and frankly so I went to the farms I interviewed pig farmers uh, both uh, factory farms and uh, the uh, uh, less uh, less inhumane type of farming the pasture pig operations and um, 
interviewed a lot of people on the phone, so I, I like to do that part of it. And I wrote some sections and passages here and there. I guess I brought the sort of uh, some of the ethical framework and the evaluation of the ethical arguments uh, and a lot of the research on a range of issues like some of the environmental issues, I guess, uh, questions about fair trade that I looked at as well, uh, and uh, basically trying to evaluate the different arguments for and against uh, some of those choices. So what did you find out as far as the differences between those three types of diets? Well, it brought out all the issues, I think. Uh, the, the vegan family is also um, very um, um, strict about organic right. products. So they have quite a range of uh, ethical concerns beyond just the animal issues. So they were, they were like a good um, example of the most ethical choices, I think, even though we did find... Did we find some discrepancy with them? <laughs> uh, well, I think they were driving SUVs. Pretty much above board. <laughs> no, 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 no. They, no. I think they were pretty uh, environmentally concerned. I think they were they were clearly making good choices. Um, but in a way, we didn't we didn't want the book to be just an argument for being vegan. I right. Mean, I think that certainly comes out as the message that that's the best and clearest, most ethical choice you can make. But my feeling is that, you know, after I've been writing about these issues and the ethics of how we treat animals uh, for over 30 years, um, we've clearly still only reached a very small percentage of the population in the sense of getting them to make the switch to a vegan or even a vegetarian diet. So I wanted to not put it just in sort of terms that that's the only ethical thing to do. I wanted to get people to see that you can make much more ethical choices even if you're not prepared to go all the way to being vegetarian or vegan uh, by uh, avoiding factory farm products in particular and uh, you know if you're reasonably careful about that and you buy more organic stuff and you can buy fair trade products and do something for people in developing countries so I wanted to look at, at those issues as well and see people that, you know, that there are a whole range of choices that you can make uh, and it's not the book is not just a sort of single argument for veganism. Yeah, yes, and we re-examined some sort of uh, comfortable assumptions like local is always better, and we took a hard look at some of these assumptions and found out that that's not necessarily true, that sometimes it's better, uh, I think the example we give in the book is to buy, like if you live in California, to buy rice from Bangladesh that's shipped halfway around the world or all the way around the world instead of buying the local California rice. And why because, is that? Because uh, Bangladeshi rice uh, uses less energy and pesticides, and it's it's more likely to be produced by small independent landowners that are trying to make a living in a poor country. Whereas a California rice is agribusiness; it's sprayed with chemicals. And There's also the irrigation factor. I mean, in Bangladesh, they've got the water which just flows down the river. California is actually a dry place, um, so they've got to bring in all the water. Um, so there's there's big problems in that as well. And actually we found that the rice uh, costs less in terms of uh, the Bangladeshi rice uses less uh, fossil fuel uh, yeah, input than the right. California there's More rice. human labor goes into it, I guess, and there's, there's less fossil yeah. fuel. Yeah, so probably including the, shipping, shipping, too. including the shipping. Like yeah. it's, it's quite cheap to ship rice by, by ship. Doesn't use <laughs> ship a lot. by ship. Yeah. <laughs> so we found lots of nuances there that we thought were kind of refreshing where people tend to assume, that, oh, we've got to buy local, it's always the best. 
And the, the, the tomato example was interesting too, wasn't it, Peter? The right. That was this, uh, the family that you talked to in Connecticut who were buying from a local farm, which was, you know, which is generally a good thing to do. You get, right. you know, a relationship with the farmer. You go there, you get the fresh produce and so on. Um, but the farmer was trying to produce uh, tomatoes uh, earlier than he would have had them normally in Connecticut because people were coming there, I guess they were buying the lettuce and other stuff, and they were saying, oh, you don't have tomatoes, or, you know, so then they have to go somewhere else anyway, and they don't come. So he was he built greenhouses that he was heating by burning oil to keep them warm, to get the tomatoes going, to get an earlier start in the winter, when so that he could have them ready in June. And when, you know, we asked him, so how much fuel does it take to heat the greenhouses, how many pounds of tomatoes do you get at the end of the season? And when you calculated that, you could have shipped up that quantity of tomatoes from Florida for that amount of oil. So wow. you weren't really saving anything. Was he making enough profit to make it worthwhile? Or well, I think he was still probably making some profit on the tomatoes, yeah. But I guess his other point was it was something that was attracting people to come to the right. farm at that time of year. And they weren't just buying tomatoes, they were buying other things. And his farm was like, uh, you know, like a model of the family farm. Oh, it'd been in like 17, 17 generations. 17 generations sure in the same name. Yeah, so it's a family farm. But there's a twist. It's like the Da Vinci Code. We found that the, <laughs> the tomato trail is... The vegan code. Right, that Florida tomatoes were produced, or at least in that region, maybe not uh, that particular truckload of tomatoes, but uh, that area of Florida, is, uh, some of the tomato growers have been indicted and convicted of uh, slavery. Oh my goodness! For the treatment of uh, the immigrants, they, yeah. they were getting illegal immigrants to, to do the work, and they were actually, you know, then they would say them, tell them when when they got there, well, you're not really getting paid because what it cost you to, what it cost us to get you over the border, you know, many thousands of dollars, you've got to pay us back first, and oh so they goodness. were really working for nothing. And when they tried to leave, they would be, uh, you know, basically threatened at gunpoint or threatened by bullies and forced yeah. to go back. Uh, no, no, the. So administration's using them as a political wedge too. There are a lot of twists and turns on the trail of the, the <laughs> trail of the sources of food. Yeah, absolutely. Most so, people don't look. You know, they don't look beyond the supermarket case. But so, is there any kind of a vegan blind spot that you've uncovered, like maybe soy or something? That's uh, no, I don't. I don't. I don't buy the stuff about soy. In fact, we, we it's not really we don't really discuss it much in the book. But I've seen the arguments. But but of course, the people who are really responsible for say the amount of soy that's grown in Brazil are the people who are eating meat because most of that is, is being fed to animals and, right. uh, and of course most of the food value is getting wasted in the process and and in terms of we don't go into health arguments very much in the book because we think there's a lot of other people who've covered that and would have just made the book right. you know, enormous to do that but my understanding is that you know you, you probably like other things you want to eat in moderation, particularly in terms of, of giving soy milk to infants and so on. There are some worries about how much of the phytoestrogens are going to make a difference to their hormones and so on. We don't really know. I, I don't think there's any cause to be alarmed, but I guess. Did you trace um, t tofu and see, because I know most tofu um, that I buy is organic, so... Yeah. Um, where, where does that come from? I know that they say that soy is one of the most heavily pesticided crops or something. How do you did you find where the organic? We didn't actually is? trace tofu in the book, no. no? But I oh, mean, man. You know, that'll be the sequel. Th there are, <laughs> there, I mean, there certainly are organic soybean producers. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, it's interesting too um, how um, we were snubbed by the industries. So we approached what was the number eighty-seven companies, Peter. Oh. Eighty-seven companies produced the foods that were eaten by these three families, and 
and uh, you know the response <laughs> was uh, minimal and, and what response we got was from this you know the small good guy producers like yeah. Pete and Jerry's eggs and these little yeah nice people uh, Tyson Foods surprisingly ignored us completely mm-hmm. even after follow-up letters what a what a surprise KFC <laughs> I mean down the line they didn't want to talk to us and yeah. show us their farms well I, I, I'm sure as soon as they heard Peter's name <laughs> well it was interesting for me red flags went up I approached a lot of them actually I was working the phones I remember called the Oscar Meyer office in uh, Chicago or wherever it is and uh those kind of questions get sent to the public relations department and um uh, the woman that I talked to when I told her I wanted to see the pigs that produced the bacon for their products, she was absolutely astounded and baffled. She says, I've never had a question like this. I don't know how to... <laughs> no one ever asked. And wow. it took her days to get back she to She had me. to go back up the chain of command. So I assume there were lots of important meetings were held in the few <laughs> days. And then they get, they get back with this response that, that was pretty much across-the-board response. This is proprietary information. Right. You know, a consumer, uh, you know, our family <laughs> buys your products and you can't answer their question. No, this is proprietary. Yeah, they don't want the other uh, bad corporations to get their info. That's their excuse anyway, right? Yeah, they're all doing the same thing. There's not really any difference. <laughs> yeah, the, they all know what each other is It's all written up in the That's trade true. magazines anyway. Right, they're not really uh, bad guys. It's just they know how to protect their interests. Yeah, well, I think they're bad. But, <laughs> so... um so you have some further um, ideas where you can take this project? Uh, well, we'd certainly like to spread the message and hope as many people will read the book as possible and talk to their friends about it. Um, you know, that's really where we want it to go now. I think that there is starting to be a debate in this country about food and ethics. Um, Michael Pollan's book, The Omnivore's Dilemma, that came out around the same time as ours, and uh, generally um, you know, a lot more discussion about it. So. We just want to contribute to that debate and, and stimulate it because I think that if the more people who think about what they eat, um, the more change they'll be. You know, it, the current situation really only gets by, only remains because people aren't really thinking or inquiring into where it comes from. Uh, or if they do, they can't get the information or, or they're not reflecting on it. So the more discussion we can have, the better. Yeah, well, it sounds like from what you've told me that um, it's kind of hard to even determine whether local is better than something from across the sea so how does uh, average consumer investigate these things without spending all their waking hours well well general we say generally local is better because you can actually see you can know the farmer there's more transparency we call it uh, we just mentioned a couple of examples, just uh, they're really a small number of exceptions, I think, to the rule. Right. So generally local and local farms are better because less fossil fuel is used. And you can see um, firsthand where, where the food is produced and how it's produced. Uh, but, you know, we just, you know, we, we don't want to make the exceptions seem like they're, they're, you know, make it impossible for people. It's not that hard to make some changes. It's very easy to buy fair trade coffee, for example. Right. And, um, you know, slave-free chocolate. I mean, these are... People can do something. I don't know. I mean, the simple recommendation, if people want something in a sentence, is just avoid factory farm products. Uh, you know, right. That would be one way of doing it. Uh, for those, you know, of course, you could just say go vegan is, is better still. Go vegan <laughs> and organic is better. Um, but but if, you know, for people who are not prepared to go vegan, um, avoid factory farm products is a, a good step in the right direction. And, and for people who are 
so many people I know, including my family, are just horrified at the prospect of going vegetarian. Oh, you know, they can't imagine life, you know, without right. some kind of animal product. And I said, well, you can have a vegetarian meal a week. Yeah. Or have one day small. that's like vegan vegetarian day, Monday, Friday, whatever it is. And who could, you know, who can, um, resi- who can refuse yeah. to do that? That's not going vegetarian. So yeah. if, if millions of people were to do that, it would have, you know, a huge effect. It would be a, a big result for animals because uh, they already consume too many animal products as it is. Right. I remember the Dalai Lama was eating vegetarian every other day for a while. Mm-hmm. He finally went vegan. <laughs> he did? Or he, he at least went vegetarian. I don't know if he's vegan. Well, but there's, there's a new uh, big vegetarian Tibetan movement, uh, and I think they finally talked him into it. Really? I hadn't heard that. Last night I heard he was still, still eating meat. I, th- I think it's been within the last year or uh-huh. two okay. at the most. Oh, that would be good to hear. Yeah. So, um, anything else you guys want to talk about? Well, the book is really geared to you know the average reader, the meat eater, mainstream person, and uh, the reviews that we've gotten are, are very good. I think they applauded the book for not being preachy and judgmental, and you know, thou shalt. It's kind of uh, easy going reading, and it's not pedantic or anything. It's uh, it's the kind of book that I w- probably wouldn't shock your aunt or your uncle. Right, I think that's a good recommendation. I mean, if, if, if your listeners are already vegan, they might say, I don't really need this book. But, yeah, if they've got you know, friends, family, or whatever, who are not, um, then it's a good book for them, I think. Yeah, well, it sounds like there's some information in there that even uh, people who have been vegan for a while might not know. I think that's probably true. Yeah. Where their food I, there was, is coming obviously from. Obviously, there was a lot of stuff that we turned up in the research that we didn't know, so I think that'll be true for most readers. Yeah, I'm looking forward to I just bought a copy here at the Farm Sanctuary Hoedown. Great, yes. And great I'm looking event. forward to reading it. So you think you'll be collaborating again? Who knows? Joe needs to finish fixing up his house before. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I've got a couple of other projects too that are more yeah. specialised in the philosophy directions. So. But but it worked out well. You made a good team together. Yeah, well, yeah. I think we worked together pretty well. Sure, that was fun. Cool. That was fun. Peter's great to work with. He, you know, sometimes uh, joint authorship uh, leads to conflicts. But we uh, so you're still we're friends. still friends. We're definitely <laughs> still friends. friends and, uh, he's Didn't such an excellent any... writer. I mean, you know, you yeah, have, very prolific too. You have seems like you have a book out every year or two we we had we had fun (laughs) kind of talking each other out of wild ideas because uh sometimes uh each of us has a tendency to shoot off in a you know off the especially me trying to interview people that had nothing to do with the families and uh, just because they were interesting i wanted to go into those underground caves remember that project out in Canada. Oh, yes, yes, where the milk is stored or something. They have like these that. old abandoned mines uh, that are limestone caverns of size. You could put aircraft hangars in these places and they refrigerate them and they have zillions of pounds of uh, tons, really, of uh, uh, extra food. Wow. Uh, dairy products, uh, USDA surplus cheese and stuff. Uh, and uh, it was just, it's just such a scene to, to see these places because it's just this enormous quantities of food just stuffed away. So they underground, and no one even knows about it. It's just it's wow. shocking to to see it. And uh, of course, it had nothing to do with one of our families. But, uh, so Peter <laughs> talks. That's another book for you. <laughs> <laughs> did it seem like? Uh, it, did it feel like a cave in there? Or was it all 
It's like walking into a freezer, only it's the size of a you know small city in there. Really, I mean, these places are huge. Maybe I, you and I should collaborate. That sounds like a good photographic essay. Just, just, <laughs> just the idea of seeing so much food, you know, just sitting there. I mean, yeah. you, you hear all these stories about children starving all over the world. Yeah, and they are. There are just huge numbers of children that die every day because they don't have enough to eat. And here, you know, in the plains of Kansas, underground is this. <laughs> shocking stuff next to the missile missile silos and so it sounds uh is it done the dairy industry throw away a lot of or you know the subsidies they overproduce every year anyway and throw a bunch away no well yeah yeah it ends up uh, well cheese the cheese business too a big byproduct is whey yeah which is uh, then dehydrated and uh, put into every, powder is every packaged in product right well, we did find that some of the uh, pasture operations, the humane farms, aren't quite what they're cracked up to be, too. And the case in point was the free-range organic egg farm that uh, Peter went to see. It certainly wasn't free-range, yeah. It, I mean, it did satisfy the organic standards, but it just showed that you can satisfy the organic standards by having the chickens in a in a shed with just the merest kind of token access to the outdoors. It wasn't, you know. And there were DBs. So what was, the, what was the access to the outdoors? There was a little dirt run um, where the guy said they sometimes had access to when we were there, which was a we were just there in the fall. Right, it was, it was in it's in uh, New Hampshire, um, and just like the time when the leaves were turning, so it was a sunny day. It was a perfectly pleasant day outside, and I we, I said, well, where's the access to that dirt run? And he said, oh, I shut the doors for the winter. Wow. So you know, I mean, he told us quite openly that he was worried about the possibility of them getting some sort of disease from. The bird flu, or yeah, something. well, something from <laughs> passing, you know, feces dropped by flying wild wild birds or something. So, oh my goodness. So, but really, you know, the, the, there was no excess for most of the year. Yeah, that's what I've heard. Well, what I think is happening is that the, this concept of humane farming is really quite new. Organic farming has been around since the nineteen forties, and they've little by little they've worked out standards, and you know, they've negotiated the issues and the conflicts, but. Humane farming is really quite new historically, so there's still um, a lot to be settled. And uh, how much access to the outdoors, and you know, what are the exceptions? So I think our, I hope our book will kick up some controversy and get all of those issues discussed, because I think there's going to be more and more consumer demand, uh, like our family, the conscientious omnivores. I think there's going to be a lot more people like that. that right. That will only buy cage-free eggs and will only buy pasture pork and things like that. So, it, does this feel to you, Peter? You've been you wrote your book thirty years ago. Is that what Animal Liberation came out yeah. in seventy-five? Yeah. Wow. And so, how do you do? You feel like the animal rights movement has made progress in that time? Oh, it's definitely made progress, but it hasn't made as much progress as I really would have liked. Right. Um, but yeah, sure. I mean, there wasn't a movement then. There was no animal rights movement. People didn't know what the term was. Um, so yeah, there is a big movement now. It's certainly had some impact. Um, I think there are more vegetarians and vegans. There's definitely a lot more vegetarian and vegan options when you go to restaurants and things of that sort. Uh, people don't look at you as if you're some kind of nut anymore when you <laughs> say that you're a vegetarian or a vegan. Uh, so you know, there's huge progress there, and um, there's you know some progress even in the sort of farming conditions in this country, though far behind what's happened in Europe where there's been a lot more change right um, but you know little things have happened I mean say just giving you know hens a little bit more space uh, in the cages it 
it's minuscule, but but things have happened. But uh, you know, in terms of what I would have liked to see happen in thirty years, no, in that sense, you know, we haven't come very far, really. So we've got a long way to go. A very long way to go. Yeah. Well, the, the activism is, is so new because uh, when your book came out in '75 and Animal Factories five years later, it was really quite a long time before any of the animal groups took up the farmed animal issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. In fact, I think a couple of the bad reviews that you got and we got from animal, fa- animal factories actually came from animal groups. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, snide remarks about, oh, this this is a crazy issue, you know. We, but there was a kind of an unwritten agreement among the animal organizations at the time that they didn't raise this issue. So you're talking about groups that protect uh, pet animals? Mostly. It was it was uh, laboratory vivisection. The movement was pretty much devoted to hunting, trapping, vivisection, dogs and cats. Yeah, and I don't think there was a single group that had any program, act, uh, campaign whatsoever on farmed animals. And probably most of the people in the groups were meat eaters at the time. Yeah, sure. All the uh, yeah. animal events. Yeah, sure. No. Yeah. Well, it seems like that's less the case now. It seems like the Humane Society's becoming more aware of farm issues. Mm-hmm. and Yes, it's definitely, it's, it's definitely taken over the animal movement, and it's moving more, more into mainstream. And you've had uh, new organizations formed exclusively to work on farmed animal issues, like Farm Sanctuary is a case in point. United Poultry Concerns and a number of others, uh, Humane, Humane Farming, Farming Association, a number of them. That just you know, farmed animals is their only issue. That's great. Okay, thanks so much, um, and uh, all our listeners. I hope you go out and get the book, "The Way We Eat and Why Our Food Choices Matter." We've been here with Peter Singer and Jim Mason, the authors. That's it for our show. All my guests have left, and I'm here by myself. Very lonely. Tune in in two weeks for our next edition of Vegan Radio. Oh, actually, I'd have to say in two weeks, I am going to be at the Burning Man Festival, so there probably won't be a Vegan Radio to tune into, or else we'll play one of our old episodes. We'll be back in a month with the uh, Burning Man Festival review, and uh, hopefully I'll meet lots of vegans out there I can talk to. And Megan will be back, and it's going to be a normal show again. Normal. Normal. Uh-oh, Scott's back in the studio. <laughs> Scotty, you can't just walk in off the street and start talking again. Uh, oh yes, here's the here's our theme song. <laughs> so uh, tune in next time for another episode of Vegan Radio, <laughs> and check our show notes at www.veganradio.com for any information about this show or anything else. Links to everything vegan. Uh, Please contribute to our show forums, sign up for our email list, uh, check us out on MySpace if you're really bored, and um, come on back next time. You're listening to WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM. Next up is Jay Deacon with Spirits.
我的看。